0: All right, we got to preach. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Have your way, Lord. Verse 1 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Verse 5 says, And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, With their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. It wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the, gar- but, but, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he led all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead." But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. This is the word of the Lord. You may have your seat. So we've been in this series called Multiply, where we are going through the book of Acts. The, gospel, the, the ministry movement started in Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem, it moved north. The next major place it went was in Antioch. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. From Antioch, they then moved west. And then they end up a little northwest from Antioch, and they land to another Antioch in Pisidia. And that's where we were last week. And now their time in Antioch in Pisidia is up. They've done the ministry that they could do. Persecution is strong there. And so now Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey is what we've been studying so far. They now move from Antioch in Pisidia and now move to the region that we know as Galatia. These were our text today is in cities which are in the region of Galatia. That's where we get the book of Galatians from. And so now we're going to see Paul and Barnabas go here, minister plant these churches in the region of Galatia. And so now the first city that they come to is a place called Iconium. And then when they enter Iconium, they go as is their pattern, they go to the Jews first. It was Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. And so he keeps with this pattern. When he arrives to a new city, he goes first to the Jewish synagogue. Because the covenant that God made was to the people of Israel. And so they have the first opportunity to hear the gospel. And so verse 1 says, they come to Iconium, they go to the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, what we're going to see first of all here in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, is the power of the word. Look with me, first of all, as the power of the word. The text says, they spoke in such a way, or they spoke so, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks Believe Now, upon first reading of this text, it appears that the author, Dr. Luke, is heaping praise upon Paul and Barnabas for their great speaking ability. However, that point of view would be inconsistent with the totality of, of Luke's writing and emphases in the book of Acts. Luke again and again in the book of Acts has said that those who witnessed for Christ were effective because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So then, the reason that Paul and Barnabas were able to speak so effectively so that both Jews and Gentiles believed was not because of their oratorical ability, it was not because of their eloquence. Of words, but it was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are talking about being under the control and under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Even Paul confirms that it's not oratorical ability that gets people to believe the gospel, but it is the power of God. First Corinthians chapter two. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what Paul writes about himself to to the church at Corinth. He says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, watch this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, watch this, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul makes it clear here that God's power is greater than the wisdom of man. God manifests his power in us through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas are able to accomplish great things for God because they relied not on their own wisdom or ability, but on the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are so paralyzed by fear that we attempt nothing great for God and that we accomplish nothing for God. And must I remind you that the same Holy Spirit that filled Paul and Barnabas is the same Holy Spirit that fills you and I today. Friends, God has empowered us to do his work, his way through the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to know. The Spirit in you is greater than the sum of all of your deficiencies. Rewind. Press play. The Spirit in you is greater than the sum of all of your deficiencies. What do you mean? The spirit in you is greater than your speech deficiency. Ask Moses. Moses, I can, Moses said, Lord, I can't go for you. I cannot go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let you go. He says, I, I, I got the speech impediment. God says, that's all right. I'll send Aaron with you. He, God, the spirit in you is greater than your speech deficiency. Some of you says, I'm too deficient to do anything for God because I've got a, a past I've got character flaws, but the spirit in you is greater than your character deficiency. Come here. Can I call a witness? Come here, David. King David, did you have a character deficiency? Sure did. Went up to the rooftop. (laughs) So this fine thing called Bathsheba, she was another man's wife. But she looked good to me and I wanted her and I went and got her. And not only did I went and commit adultery with her, but I also went and killed the husband. The power of lust, by the way. But God used David. David, when he realized he did wrong, he confessed his sin, Psalm 51. And he said, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me is even greater than your age deficiency. Come here, youth group. I know you think you're too young to do anything great for God, but let me call a witness by the name of Jeremiah. God has called this prophet, this young man by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, Lord, you can't be calling me. I'm too young. He said, I I know how old you are. I created you. He said, matter of fact, before you were in your mother's womb, I ordained you to be a prophet, and God used him to speak to nations. The spirit in you is greater than the sum of all your deficiencies. Matter of fact, the spirit in you is greater than your knowledge deficiency. Just ask me. (laughs) So many times we say we can't do things for God because of all of these reasons. And God makes it clear to us in the book of Acts that he uses people that are flawed and deficient. And where people are deficient, the Spirit will make you sufficient. Yes, yes. That's true, sir. That's Friends, let me just testify. One moment. The evidence of the power of the Spirit is on display before your very eyes every Sunday. God works through me yet in spite of me. I don't always love my wife like I ought to. I don't always love my children like I ought to. I don't always love you like I ought to. But God uses me in spite of me. I don't always think holy thoughts. I don't always sit there, I don't sit in my office all day long just reading the Bible. I go on Facebook to see what y'all doing. But he uses us in spite of us. It's broken people that God uses. Church, we're all broken. I'm broken. you broken. Watch this. Your mama broken. There's a blessing in brokenness, though. And God is able to use the broken things of this world to bring blessings to this world. The spirit in you is greater, friends. He works through me in spite of me. Let me tell you something. This is the paradox of preaching. The most, the most positive feedback I receive on, uh, the most positive feedback on sermons that I receive is on the sermons that I think have been my worst. My worst sermons, I leave here like, oh man, I went to Flunkersville today. And y'all come to the door, woo, pastor, I needed that. I'm like, were you listening? Because it's not about my ability. It's not about my power. It's not about my eloquence of words or my oratorical ability, but it's about the spirit that God uses in spite of me. So what's the takeaway from this point? Stop focusing on your inability. Trust the spirit that God has put inside of you. Trust the Holy Ghost. So we see the power of the word. Not only do we see the power of the word in this text, but we also see the peril of witnessing. The peril. That word peril means great danger or grave risk. Church, there are dangers and risk in being a witness for Christ. Look at verse 2. Some people believe, verse 2 says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Skip down to verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews to mistreat them and to stone them, Friends, once again, we see the gospel produces enemies. There will be people who contradict the message and the authenticity of the gospel that you proclaim. There will be division. You may be mistreated for the gospel you believe and proclaim. Your life may even be put in danger because of the gospel. Friends, Gospel ministry is risky business. I'm not just talking about preaching from a platform. Everything that you do, you serve, live, that's gospel ministry. It is risky business. The gospel is spiritual warfare. And church, we must prepare ourselves for this. Listen, because of the gospel, people are not going to like you. Because of the gospel, your circle of friends may even get smaller. Because of the gospel, your family may not be as accepting of you in your new life. Singles, I got a word for you this morning. Because of your gospel beliefs, the pull for your potential spouses should shrink. Friends, let me remind you, yes, salvation is free, but following Christ is costly. You will come under attack. We will come under attack from the world for our beliefs. We will be called narrow-minded and bigots. So guess what? Stop trying to be like everyone. Stop trying to please everyone. Stop trying to be liked by everyone. The gospel is not necessarily going to win you friends with the world. So the question for us today is, when opposition comes, will we persist or will we cave in? Look at the example of the in verse 3. Verse 3 says, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness the word of his grace. Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What do you do in the face of opposition to the gospel? You persevere. You persist. In the face of opposition, Paul and Barnabas remained faithful to the mission to which they had been called. And they faced that opposition with boldness, with courage. And what we need today more than ever more than ever is some bold Christians. Listen, not jerks. Because we can be jerks in the name of Jesus, but bold. Meaning you, you have the ability to stand tall when you are faced with pressure. You live proudly for Jesus. You're not ashamed of the gospel. We need more Christians who are bold in their living, bold in their giving, bold in their witness, bold in their faith, bold at home, bold at work, bold at school. We need more bold Christians. Friends, too much is at stake. Souls are at stake. This is not the time for us to cower So we see the power of the word, the peril of witnessing. Look with me now at the proof of the word. Verse 3 says that God served also as his own witness to the word of his grace. The word of his grace refers to the gospel. And church, the gospel is all about the grace of God. And my prayer for each and every one of you today is that you would grow in your understanding and acceptance of grace. My prayer for each and every one of you today is that you would grow in your understanding and acceptance of grace. The gospel it's not about what we do. The gospel is what about, it's about what Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone. We are sanctified by grace alone, and we will one day be glorified by grace alone. And if there's one thing that saddens me, it's to see a believer who has been set free try to work their way into pleasing God and being right with God on a day-to-day basis. Watch this. Some of you... Beat yourselves up this week because you didn't do your morning devotion on Thursday. You're saying, what happened on Thursday? Exactly. Some of you are so hard on yourself, you've got to check the list of your Christian duty that if you don't have your Thursday morning devotion, now you feel guilty. You're beating yourself up. That's not a gospel perspective. Now, I'm not saying don't do your uh, morning devotion on Thursday. Do it. Friends, we are gripped by grace. Grace is all around us. Think about it. I have to sit here and I have to ask myself every day, why did God choose me of all people to be adopted into his family? Answer, grace. I have to ask myself sometimes because I daydream y'all. When I uh, drive, you don't want to be on the road when I'm driving. (laughs) And I go through the light. I'm like, what color was that light? (laughs) And I have to wonder, why didn't I have a wreck? Why didn't I get T-boned when I went through that intersection? Answer, grace. How did I grow up not having health insurance for 18 plus years but not get sick? Grace. Why don't I have the job that I have today? Grace. Why don't some of you have the job that you want? Grace. Because you see all the money, but you don't see all the hell that come with that money. Grace. Why? I even have to ask myself, Lord, why didn't you wake me up this morning? He comes back to me saying, grace. I, I, I wonder sometimes, Brian, Lord, as much as I mess up, why are you giving me chance after chance after chance? And his answer to me is grace. How could a holy God save a wretched sinner like me? Grace. The text says God was his own witness to the word of his grace. How was God his own witness? The text says that he granted to Paul and Barnabas signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God attested that the message of the apostle was true and authentic by granting them the ability to do signs and wonders. And in our text today, we see signs and wonders take the form of a miracle. Verse 8-10 through 10 says that there was a man in the crowd at Lystra that was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul preach and Paul saw that he had faith to be made well and said to this crippled man, stand up on your feet. And the text says he sprang up and the crippled man from birth started walking. The miracle, friends, the miracle performed here authenticates that this really was God's word. Oftentimes in the scripture we will see miracles accompanying a word-based movement. One question that I asked when I read this part of the story is one question that I asked, and I'm not going to give you the answer is, how did Paul see faith? That's one question. But the other question I have is, where did this crippled man's faith come from? We don't know how old he was, but we do know that from birth he had been crippled. Never had the ability to walk, but yet he has faith that he can be made well. So where did this faith come from? It's in the text. Look at verse 9. He listened to Paul speaking. Ooh, y'all missed that. Just like I'm missing my rag. Is it over there? He listened to Paul speaking. It's okay, I'm almost done now. I'm convinced that his faith was the product of him hearing the word. Maybe that's why Paul in Romans 10 and 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Friend, you want more faith, get more of the word. Everybody's praying, increase my faith. And God's saying, increase your intake of the word. The word reveals the God who is and can be trusted. More word, more faith. Oh, that's a t-shirt. More word, more faith. Copyright that for me, somebody. So they see this miracle. The crowd sees this miracle. How do they respond? Let's get out of here with this. Let's look together at the perversion of worship. The perversion of worship. The word perversion means a diverting from the true intent or purpose. A change to something worse. A turning or applying to a wrong end or use. How do the Gentiles pervert worship in that text? The text says that they take Paul and Barnabas and they want to make them into gods. Barnabas called Zeus. Paul was called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And watch this. Even the priest of the Greek temple of Zeus Brings oxen and garlands to the gates to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Friends, this is worship. It's false worship, but it's worship. All of us are tempted to do what these what the Greeks in our text did. We are always looking for something or somebody to worship. That's because that's our nature. We are we were created for worship. And so then our hearts always craves something to worship. We are worshipers by nature. Every creature of the world worships something. In the fall, we'll see a lot of worship. And it's going to be bad worship because a lot of people are going to go to Kansas City and try to watch the Chiefs play. (laughs) Senseless, I tell you. (laughs) We are always desiring to worship something because we were created to be worshipers. Worship, friends, is an ongoing battle Of the heart. If we do not worship the God of the Bible, we will find something else to worship because our heart has to fill that void. And this crowd here at Lystra, they are proof that we will always worship something. So they say, we're going to make gods out of Paul and Barnabas. They believe Paul and Barnabas are the incarnation of these Greek gods. And so how do Paul and Barnabas respond? Look at verse 14. The text says, But when the apostles uh, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you. Paul and Barnabas literally go into mourning because the crowd wants to give glory to man and not God. See, see, Paul and Barnabas, they tear their clothing as a sign of mourning. Paul and Barnabas, they know that glory belongs to God and God alone. Paul and Barnabas also know that God is a jealous God. There is a godly jealousy, by the way. I have a godly jealousy for my wife because we've made a covenant together. And so it's right for me to be jealous when somebody else tries to come into our marriage. Now, Connie has some godly jealousy. I don't know if there's some other jealousy. So there is a godly jealousy, and God is jealous for his own glory. Paul and Barnabas know this. They know that God's wrath will be poured out on those who try to rob God of the glory that is due him. And so they ask these men, why are you doing this? Paul and Barnabas reason with them that they are just mere mortals, just like them. They imply that it is senseless to worship man. It is illogical to idolize man. All right, it's time to set somebody free right now. The great sin of our day is the idolization of man. We don't, it's called, in Scripture, it's called the fear of man. We don't call it that today. Here's what we call it, people-pleasing. Church, let me tell you something. People-pleasing is simply a form of idolatry. It is impossible to please man and to please God. You cannot serve both God and man. Not only is people pleasing a form of idolatry, but idolatry of people also takes uh, shape in the form of seeking the approval of man. We want others to affirm us. We want to be accepted by others to feel good about ourselves. So we fear rejection. So what do we do? We put on a facade. We, we, We refuse to be transparent with our brothers and sisters in Christ because of what we fear they will think of us. And so we put on this mask as if we've got it all together. By the way, that, that Greek term is where we get our term hypocrisy. That's what a hypocrite is. A play actor. We show up acting like we've got it all together when we know we don't have it all together. And so we lack being transparent because we want the approval of man. You know, I just decided, because y'all, y'all, people that know me well here, y'all know that I'm just pretty open. I, I tell you, I just tell you my truth because God is doing something. He's writing his story, both good and bad. The the good and bad and the ugly of my life is God's story. And so I just told my wife, I said, look, I'm just going to tell people the truth because if I don't tell them the truth, they're going to make up a truth. I am so serious. Before you know it, it'll be out that you was on drugs. People will make up their own truth about you. I get on Facebook sometimes and I, and I read stuff from people back home. Somebody always dead, but yet they alive. People will make up a truth about you. So I just say, I'm going to tell my own truth. This has, I don't know what that has to do with the sermon. <laughs> Idolatry. Seeking of the approval of man is simply our doctrine. Paul says it makes no sense to idolize men. And Somebody in here today needs to be set free because all you, con- you are consumed. You sit at home thinking about, well, I wonder what they thought about when I said this. Oh 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 and Can I tell you, for most of us, you're the last person on our mind. We are not that concerned with you. We got kids running around. We got kids acting like they don't lost their everlasting mind. The wife acting like she, she done lost her mind. But, and, and so you think I'm going to think about what you said? And more than likely, I probably will not even listen. <laughs> I want to set somebody free here today. Because you're in bondage to the opinion of man. And you've been set free from that. I'm just going to tell you right now, don't try to please me. Because you never know what day I'm going to be in my feelings. Uh, Here's my point. People are fickle. One day we like you. The next day we jealous of you. So what does Paul says? Instead of idolizing men, he says the right response to a move of God is to repent. Verse 15, he says, Paul says, instead of worshiping men, he says, we came to bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Church, that's repentance. Turning from one thing and turning to another. Turning from idols and turning to God and God alone. So he's he's preaching to a Gentile audience, and so they may have not known the God of which Paul and Barnabas served. So Paul says, let me tell you who this God is. This God is the one who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Friends, no man has the excuse that they don't know that God exists because God has revealed himself to all men through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Paul Paul even attested this in Romans 1 verses 9 through 10. 19 through 20, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely this eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. No more excuses for saying God has not revealed himself. Every person has has to know that there is a God just looking at creation. He says, Paul said, not only can God be known as the creator of the universe, but he can also be known by his grace that is coming to all. Friends, grace. There's common grace. There's special grace. Common grace, it means it's coming to all mankind. Everybody experiences some of God's grace. Guess what? In America, both believers and unbelievers receive rain. The Bible says it like this, it rains on the just and the unjust. God didn't just say, okay, I'm going to go to to the 67208 zip code and it's only going to rain and I'm only going to water the grass of those people who are the elect. All people are recipients of God's common grace. Look at verse 17. He says, God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. In other words, he says, God gave you rain to water your crops so you could feed your family. He says he gave you seasons of prosperity. This this, Paul is saying, God is good to all. Everybody is a recipient of God's common grace. Therefore, this is evidence that God exists and he alone should receive glory. Friends, here's my simple point this morning. Glory belongs to God and God alone. We were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here's what purposeful living is. Purposeful living is living for the glory of God. Once we get this, our lives will be transformed. Sometimes some people may be wondering, why has God not given me the things that I desire? Why has has God not made my dreams come to fruition? Because it was going to glorify you and not him. Everything that we do should be for the glory of God. What we eat and drink for the glory of God. The work we do for the glory of God. How we we lead our families for the glory of God. How we talk to our neighbors for the glory of God. How we drive on the roads. For the glory of God. I didn't do that well this week and I'm done. So, in our neighborhood, uh, my, my daughter goes to school in this neighborhood that's tucked. And in this neighborhood, the school is tucked back in this neighborhood. And in this neighborhood, there are no stop signs. You go this way, no stop signs. You go this way, no stop signs. So, you got to use common sense. Well, that's, that's a problem in and of itself. I affirm coming grace, not common sense. This big old truck lifted up. Coming this way, going 40 miles plus, 40 miles per hour plus to a neighborhood where a school is. They coming, and they see me. And so instead of slowing down, they just get on their horn. I'm in my Camry, y'all. They in this big old truck. I'm in my Camry. So I wasn't living for God's glory. I said, they ain't finna honk at me, so what I do? Back at them. Now, they cross the street, then they stop. I go, oh, Lord, this big old truck done stop. <laughs> I'm gone now. Hope they don't follow me. But we are oftentimes, think about it, just when we're driving, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. Even when people are ugly to us, we shouldn't give them the finger. I know y'all do it. I've never done that. Why are you laughing, Brian? I've never done that. Everything we do for the glory of God, all glory belongs to God. When we idolize men, we rob God of the glory that's due him. We deify man, we uplift, we magnify man. And here's what happens. When we magnify man, we minimize God. When people become big, God becomes small. Let's pray.